Good morning, Church. Can you please turn to page 3 of your bulletin for the scripture reading this morning? Today's scripture is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Grace. Lord bless you, church. Now, before I start my message proper, I want to take the opportunity to remind you of something very important. We are in the second week of doing a chapter a day devotional as a church. Now, so just as a note, if you have not purchased for yourself a Joel Bickey's Family Worship Bible Guide, please do get one. You would have realized that this a chapter a day devotional we provide. We provide a brief book overview and certain other writings, articles inside. But there are no daily devotional thoughts accompanying each chapter. So you may wonder, where is the daily devotional thoughts for every single chapter? They're not there. We actually want to train you to be focused on reading the Bible on your own. So we've got some questions for you. You can use those questions to read the Bible. But after you've done the reading though, after you've used those questions to guide you in reading, after you're done reading and reflecting, we want to encourage you to look at this book and inside you will find that every single chapter, there are some devotional thoughts. And you will find it really, really helpful. So I highly recommend this book for your reference as you read the Bible every day. Now remember, our Bible reading journey is three years, so you will get to make good use of this particular Bible guide. Very helpful for those of you who want to lead your family in family worship as well. So strongly recommended. I can't promote this book highly enough. Now to the sermon. Now last Sunday, we started this new sermon series, Agape, a family of overflowing love for this year. And for those of you who were here last Sunday, do you still remember what we learned? Let's think a bit. We learned about the greatest commandment of all. So we heard the Lord's call for us to love Him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And then love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is agape love, selfless, sacrificial love of God. And today's focus on love is the same kind of love. So we know that God wants us to love, love Him and love others. And the others includes everyone else in this world. Yet in terms of communal expression of love to others, he has a very specific plan. He actually wants to bring people 
the people who believe in Him together so that they can love one another. And again and again, we see this clear teaching from the Bible in the New Testament. The church is a family, right? A family. We know one another's names, we're a family. Where people love one another with agape love. And this is God's idea. Now, why does God want that? You know, some of us may think, isn't that very inward-looking? Now, no, not at all. In fact, such love is meant to be a witness to the world. Jesus says in the book of John in the Bible, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This means that Christians must love fellow Christians. And this is especially the case when it comes to people in the same church. That you're best able to love someone when you're, able, when you're in close proximity to the person. So the local church is very important. That's why we're gathered here today on a Sunday, across Singapore as well, different local churches, assemblies loving one another. Now, when a church loves like this, it is beautiful, not just for those who are already part of the family, but also for the guests among us. Because this love within the family will always overflow beyond ourselves. And so this is highly desirable. But how do we attain such love? And for that, we're going to consider the scriptures that was read just now. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Now, for those of you who don't know the book of 1 John, 1 John is a letter written by the Apostle John at the end of the first century. This is a man who had followed Jesus when he was on earth and was chosen to be an apostle, meaning someone specifically sent out by Jesus. Now, in this whole letter, John was very concerned about identifying true Christians. You see, there were a lot of false teachers during John's time, and they were misleading people to the things they taught and the way they behaved. It's actually not too different from today. A lot of people can say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. They may even teach people about the Christian faith, but they are not true Christians. Their lips profess faith, but their hearts are far away. So the question is this, how do we know who are the ones who genuinely believe in Jesus? In 1 John, we learn that there are various tests to determine whether someone is a Christian or not. And today, we look at one of these tests, which is this test, the test of love. The test of love. John's message to the Christians is this, do you love one another? Do you love others in your church family with agape love? If yes, that's evidence that you are a Christian. Now, it seems very basic, but it's an important question that you and I have to answer. If we want to know whether we are genuine believers or not. And if you're not a Christian and you're here with us, this test will help you to see how uniquely different the Christian understanding of love is. Now, I'm referring to the agape love, which is selfless, sacrificial love. How different this love is from the kind of love spoken about in the world. Now, from this passage, I want to share with you three key insights for you to be radically shaped by agape love. Three key insights for you to be radically shaped by agape love. Number one, the contrast with agape love. Number two, the shift into agape love. And number three, the knowing of agape love. So the contrast with agape love, the shift into agape love, and the knowing of agape love. So firstly, the contrast with agape love. Now John says in verse 11, this is what he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, 
that we should love one another. Now, when John says from the beginning, he's referring to what they had already learned through Jesus. Jesus had taught in his ministry, he had taught his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And all the following believers who heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus as Lord and Savior, they had also received this teaching of love, love one another. Now, what's really interesting here, though, is that as John seeks to instruct his readers on this love, he does so through a contrast. He seeks a suitable contrast that will help people to understand what agape love should look like, what it looks like for someone to be radically shaped by this love. Now, most of us actually do that in everyday life. So, for example, if you are a parent, you're teaching young children to love one another, you may say, you should love one another. And then you look for some contrast. It says, you should not quarrel, you should not fight, you should not snatch each other's toys. All those should nots clarify for us what love would look like. Basically, it's the opposite of those should nots. And so if you are a Christian, imagine you are mentoring a younger believer and you come to this particular doctrine that Christians should love one another. And so imagine you tell that younger mentee, you should love one another. You should not something. Now ask yourself, what would you say actually? You should love one another, you should not something. And this is where John surprises us. He uses a very extreme contrast that is rather shocking. Most of us will not put it this way in our mentoring. John says in verse 12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, if you have been following the Bible reading plan, you will know what story this is. This is the story of Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. So what John does here is reach out for, the one, of, for one of the most extreme and earliest anti-agape love incidents recorded in the Bible. John is saying, take a look at this story. This is not agape love. And what do we see in that story in Genesis 4? We see Cain murdering Abel in cold blood. So what happened was that the both of them had given offerings to God. Abel had given in faith. His offering was acceptable to God. For Cain, his offering was not given with the right attitude of heart. It was not in faith. And Cain's offering was rejected by God. Thereafter, God came to Cain, warning him about the sin that was inside his heart. But he refused to take heed. Instead, he allowed his hatred and jealousy to overcome him. And then he went on to murder Abel, his own brother. Now, this is a very tragic story. But listen, there's a very important lesson to be learned here. You may recall that for us here in Singapore over the past few decades, there have been some gruesome murders that have captured our nation's attention. Many of us may still remember Anthony Le in 2001, he had lured a teenager to kill his wife, who had wanted a divorce. He actually offered the killer $100,000 and then coached him how to stab his wife in the neck. In 2004, there was another tragedy, many of us will remember, of an eight-year-old girl, Huang Na, now who went missing. And later on, it was discovered she was killed by a man, Tuk Ling Hao, whom she had treated all along as an uncle. So in effect, 
John's admonition to Christians in Singapore would sound like this. Love one another. We should not be like Anthony Le. We should not be like Tuk Ling Hao. Don't murder. Now, for some of you, this contrast might actually sound rather strange because you'll be thinking, okay, I, I will love, but why contrast that to murder? At most, I may not love very well and maybe even quietly detest some people in this church a little bit. But no, I won't murder the person seated near me or around me in agape. It's very extreme. We're not thinking about that. There's a lot of room between love and all the way to murder. So why make such a contrast? You see, John sees it differently. He contrasts agape love and murder. Murder that stems from a heart that harbors hatred. Now, I believe this is a good contrast that teaches us a precious truth about agape love. And this is what we learn here. Agape love is the radical, actionable opposite of murder. Agape love is the radical, actionable opposite of murder. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean that when John is thinking of agape love, I believe he's thinking of love that is not just a feeling, but an action. In a very famous passage on agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, you may recall Apostle Paul saying, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now in the original Greek, that love is not a feeling noun. It is an action verb. In other words, agape love is actionable. You would have heard me say that time and again during praying night last year, the whole of last year. Agape love involves action. It requires action. That's the biblical understanding. It begins from the heart and it overflows into action. And its exact opposite is murder. It begins with hatred in the heart and it overflows into murder. Now, when you see agape love as the radical, actionable opposite of murder, you will start to realize why John will make such a contrast. Love one another. Don't murder. That's because God is teaching us to John that agape love means radical action reflecting that love, just as murder is radical action that reflects hatred. Now, if you are in the radical agape youth ministry, take note. Radical and agape go very well together. Agape love is radical. Why? Because agape love is as radically selfless as murder is radically selfish. They are the extreme ends of the two broad categories of love and hatred. That's why John ends this passage by saying in verse 18, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, John is saying, prove that this professed love for one another is sincere and real through action. True agape love proves itself by its deed. In the same way that hateful murder captures people's attention in a most negatively shocking way, Agape love in deed and in truth is meant to capture people's attention in a most positively surprising way. Is that how you and I seek to love? Now this past week, I attended the annual prayer summit with my fellow elders. This time it was in KL. 
This is the 25th year of this unity movement to love Singapore. Altogether, there were 657 participants from 86 churches and 53 organizations, all from Singapore. It was clearly a very diverse group. Some were more conservative, some a lot more charismatic. Some were more liturgical, some were more contemporary. So for some of the worship songs, I saw a number of people, not just hands up in the air, but both feet up in the air as well. Rarely do you see that in our church. At most, one foot up. <laughs> so despite all these differences, there was a beautiful spirit of oneness. We were not there to compare size of churches. We were not there to compare whose programs were more impressive. We came together as a group of broken pastors and leaders, humbly recognizing that God, the God of love had called us to love one another, to love our church. And I was very happy to learn that the theme of this year's summit was love. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13.8 I see the theme as a confirmation of what God is doing in our church too. Now the summit organizers didn't use the word agape, but that is the biblical love emphasized at the summit. And throughout the summit, in the different sessions, again and again we were prompted to ask ourselves, how are we as brothers and sisters in Christ in Singapore loving one another? In what concrete ways are we loving one another? Can we dialogue further to find out one another's needs? Can we share resources? Can we help one another? Even if there be theological differences, can we still love one another? Now, I've been pondering over what the Lord is telling me through this summit, and it's so timely. I believe these are questions that the Lord wants to direct to our hearts too. Do we truly love one another as described in the Bible? Do we truly love one another here in Agape? Do we love other fellow believers from other churches? Or do we hate one another, murder one another? Now church, don't settle for the world's interpretation of love and hatred as mere feelings alone. Love and hatred to the eyes of God. See this love and hatred to the eyes of God as leading to actions. You know, there's very, something very sobering about the fact that John cites the example of Cain rather than many other examples of murder in the Bible. For example, he could have told his readers we should not be like King Herod who ordered the death of those children two years and under. Or we should not be like Pontius Pilate who sanctioned the murder of Jesus, the killing of Jesus. Those would be clear examples of murderous people in the Bible who want nothing to do with God. Instead of that, he mentions Cain, someone who is outwardly worshipping God, giving offerings to God. In today's terms, he could be someone who claims to believe in God, comes to church every Sunday, look all religious, maybe even a church leader. But inwardly, he is prideful, he is hateful. This is a real warning to all of us who profess to believe in God. Being in church or being in ministry does not necessarily mean you are loving. You could easily end up behaving like Cain, praying to God, offering to God, but jealous, insecure, resentful. Now this text speaks directly to Christians, loving fellow believers, but the same principle applies for others in our lives as well. Some of you here today may be non-Christians. And maybe you are hesitant to become a Christian, not so much because you are disgusted with the God of love, 
but because you have been disgusted with Christians who talk so much about love that don't actually love. You may have encountered people who say they believe in God, but their actions have hurt you so much that it feels like they have attempted murder on your soul. Sometimes this means that those individuals are actually not genuine believers. Other times they are. And your hurts are a sobering reminder to all of us Christians that we have so much to repent of. Christians don't always love well. Sometimes our talk is bigger than our walk. As a Christian community, we seek to love one another. We seek to love others. And when we fail, we seek forgiveness from those whom we have hurt and also forgive those who have hurt us. Now in this passage, John helps us to see what agape love looks like. And he does so by helping us to see what it is not. So whenever you think about agape love, see it as radical, selfless acts from the heart that are life-giving. And that is the very opposite of radical, selfish murder from the heart that is life-taking. Love one another. We should not be like Cain, the murderous one. So that's the first point. Remember this very important biblical contrast between love and murder that John provides for us in this passage. Second insight, the shift into agape love. Now it's obvious that this agape love that John talks about is very different from the values of this world. Verse 13, John tells his readers, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In a direct sense, he is preparing them for persecutions that many Christians face, even right up to today. Many in the world still harbor murderous thoughts towards Christians. Now, last Sunday, I was talking to a brother in Christ after our service. So we talked about the installation of four new people as members of our church. We praise God for that. Now, this may sound like a formality in a society like ours that allows for freedom of worship. But if we were a country where Christianity is illegal, where people might possibly kill us if we were to be found worshipping God, installing new members is a big deal. Basically, these four people will literally be saying, I know the world will hate me. My earthly family may even reject me. Some people in society want to kill me. But it's okay. I identify with Jesus Christ and His church even if it means death. So in such a context, you know, if you're clapping when you see the new members on stage, you're actually thinking, wow, the four of you have got courage. You actually identify with Jesus until like that. You're willing to die for Jesus to such an identification with Christ and His church. That's how significant church membership is. It's not just a formality. So in one sense, John is preparing his readers who have made public their faith for persecution. But in another sense, what he says here also reveals to us the gulf between the values of the world and God's people. God's people are called to love, so they actually can be identified by the way they love. Now on this point, it is extremely easy to misunderstand John. So let me offer you some context. When John is telling Christians to love one another, he's referring to this commandment that Jesus gave himself in John chapter 13. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another, referring to his disciples. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. So John, the faithful disciple, he's echoing this new commandment here. He's not coming out with something new on his own. But here, in this particular book, he's framing it as a test. That means it's not just a new commandment that you try your best if you cannot, never mind. No, no, no. If you look at the whole passage, John is saying, if you love one another and not behave like the murderous Cain, this is evidence that you are a true Christian. If you are not loving and you're like the murderous Cain, this shows you are not a true Christian. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, this may sound like the most stressful test ever. Now, do you know that all these years since I was about 18, about 20 years already, I've been having a recurring dream during my sleep at night? Every year, I will have this dream at least once, sometimes more than once, more than once. I'm not kidding. It's a very stressful dream. And do you know what I dream about? I dream that my A-level Mathematics C paper exam is coming and I have not finished revising. <laughs> That's how traumatic my junior college experience was for me. And in my dream, I would be thinking, oh no, no, I'm going to fail already, I'm so going to fail, I can't do it, I haven't revised yet. And thank God, when I awake, I will breathe a sigh of relief. It's a dream, it's over. I'm 30 plus years old already, two sons in primary school already, over, no need to take A-levels anymore, no more JC. Breathe, breathe. For those of you in JC, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> now, in case you're wondering about my results, my math is horrible. D would have been a great result for someone like me. But God gave me a B. B for Bible. <laughs> and this B is for life already. It's confirmed. The B for Matt C, if my name indicated, will never be blotted out. I don't need to retake it again. Thank God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> You know, for some people, this commandment to love feels stressful like that. They think about this test of love and they start panicking. They think, well, I fail already, fail already. They consider the way they have loved before. They look at whether they can love people ahead. They say, no way, no way. I can't love like that. Now, if you read the whole book of John, you will see clearly. John is a straight talker. He says it as it is. Sounds very black and white. Either you're walking in the light or you're not. You're walking in darkness. Either you're practicing righteousness or you're not. Either you're loving or you are not. But he's not trying to scare anybody, least of all genuine Christians, when he presents love as the evidence of true Christian faith. But he does want people to consider it carefully. So why is John so confident about the Christian need to love one another? The reason is because he knows this. Agape love for one another is not just a new command from God. It flows from a new capacity given by God. Agape love for one another is not just a new command from God. It flows from a new capacity given by God. And how do we know this? How do we know that we have this new capacity? Look at how John puts it in verses 14 to 15. He says that we know that we have passed out from death into life, eternal life, because we love the brothers, meaning all believers, men and women. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
Now, these two verses are very rich, but what I want to focus on are just the correlations that John is making. He's saying life is correlated with love. When you pass out from death, of death into life, you are able to love. If you don't love and you hate, it's like you are murderous, even if you didn't literally kill anyone and you remain in death. That means death is correlated with hatred. Now, these correlations help us to understand agape love as the result of a new capacity from God. If you have passed out of death into life, meaning gain eternal life by faith in God, it is clearly God's grace to you. And out of this grace to you, He now grants you a new capacity to love. You may not be exercising this capacity to love as much as you should, but this capacity to love has been given. And this capacity to love is God-given. Just as your new life as a believer is God-given. In other words, God is commanding you based on the new capacity He has given you. If you are a Christian, it means just as you pass out of death into life, you have passed from hatred into agape love. What this means is this. The shift from hatred into agape love mirrors the shift from death into life. The shift from a hatred into agape love mirrors the shift from death into life. This is why we read this in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. This is what Apostle Paul means when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He said, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. He means that you guys will be able to love one another. Why? He gives the reason. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. It means if you have received eternal life from God, God Himself will work in you to grant you as His new creation in the Spirit, this new capacity to love. And what we're called upon to do in response is to simply exercise this love by faith. Tabiri Ayak Wile expresses this thought in a very memorable way. He says, Our love for one another is the flower and fruit that indicates eternal life is at the root. Eternal life is at the root and allows us to love one another. Now, if you look at this quote, you would see that it encapsulates the shifts that I've spoken about. Eternal life as the root means there is a shift from death to life. We're now alive in Christ. That's one shift. And then there's love as the flower and fruit which means the shift from hatred to love. That's another shift. But it's actually one more shift. And that's implied in the one another part, referring to fellow believers. The real reason there is such an emphasis on love for fellow Christians is not because God wants to create an exclusive, self-serving, inward-looking club called the church. No, that's not the idea. The emphasis of love for fellow believers is actually a result of a shift in spiritual family. There's a shift in spiritual family when you become a Christian. The shift from hatred into agape love mirrors the shift from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. Now, very strong words. What do I mean here? 
Now, you see, spiritually, on our own, we are all like Cain. If you look at verse 12 in your bulletin, you will see that John describes Cain as of the evil one. In fact, in the passage before that, explicitly John says, there are people who are children of the devil and there are people who are children of God, and he's contrasting that. Now, as God brings about our shift in agape love, He shifts us from being in the spiritual family that Cain belonged to, the spiritual family, into the spiritual family of God. By grace through faith, He adopts the children of the devil as His very own, the children of God. Now, let me explain this phrase, children of the devil. Now, if it sounds shocking to you, note that these words came from Jesus Himself. And John, actually, once again, is just following Jesus. In John 8, 44, Jesus rebuked the Jews who rejected Him. And He says, this is who their father is. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a f- liar and the father of lies. Now mind you, this is Jesus talking. Jesus does not shy away from hard truths as well. If it is true, he will just say it. Now Jesus is not saying the devil, this murderer, this father of lies, fathered human beings by birth. He's not saying that. He's saying that the devil's spiritual seed of evil is in all human hearts. In the same way that we have a new capacity to love as God's children, we actually have a natural capacity to hate as the children of the devil. And most of the time, we hate when we feel that our happiness is under threat in any way. We hate when we feel our happiness is under threat in any way by anyone, in any kind of ways. I recall when I was a teenager... I really hated it when adults come and correct me. I'm not sure if you can identify with that experience. One time there was an auntie who came to my house and then she was commenting on the way I was holding my chopsticks. I think she was saying, Ayo, so big already, still don't know how to hold chopsticks properly. Oh, I felt an internal rage inside me. I didn't say anything, but my face turned black. That comment from her threatened my happiness. felt insulted by her criticism. So I responded by turning away from her, ignoring her. Those teenage years, as most of you know, were also my very intensive gaming years. So from time to time, people will say as well, I shouldn't be playing so much computer games, should study more. Maybe study more mathematics. You can imagine what went on in my heart. I hated it whenever people tell me how to live my life. I hated it when people, especially those who don't know me, express disapproval of my lifestyle, my choices. It is my life. None of your business. I felt happy gaming all day long. Anyone who dares take away my gaming happiness will incur my wrath. That was about 20 years ago. Now where did all that hatred and anger come from? Now I know John is right. He's spot on. It's the same spirit as Cain. I was following a different father, the murderous one who does not stand in the truth. The evil inherent within me, it didn't need to be taught. The evil inherent within me was just acting up. 
Now, if you're a parent of a teenager and you're here, don't go home and start going, did you hear what pastor is saying? He's talking about you. <laughs> it doesn't work this way. Let the Holy Spirit convict as the word is spoken. And let us be mindful as well of what's going on in our own hearts. Even as adults, we have similar struggles too. Because we are all, by sinful nature, consumed with our own interests. All of us would have been guilty of hatred. Now Charles Spurgeon, he puts it this way. He says, Every man who hates another has the venom of murder in his veins. He may never actually take the deadly weapons into his hand and destroy life. But if he wishes that his brother were out of the way, if he would be glad if no such person existed, that feeling amounts to murder in the judgment of God. A question to all of us. Have you ever, ever hated anyone? Have you ever wished that some person did not exist? That you would be happier if that person did not exist? You come under the judgment of a holy God. And that's a sobering truth for everyone. But thanks to God's love, there's hope for all murderers who come in repentance. That's why John was so emphatic when he spoke about God's love in 1 John 3.1. He tells people to be whole. He says, see what kind of love the Father, he's talking about the Heavenly Father, has given to us. That we, people as undeservingly murderous as we are, should be called children of God. He's overjoyed as he ponders over this shift in spiritual family. That believers are no longer hateful children of the devil, but the loving children of God. This newfound status gives all of God's children a joy that nothing in this world can take away. Now listen, as God's children, we receive more rights from Him than any wrongs we could possibly receive from the entire hateful world combined. That's the beauty. That's the joy of being a child of God. We must remember this. To be called the children of God is an incredible privilege. Incredible privilege. Let that be your joy every day as you wake up in the morning that I am a child of God, not a child of the devil. I'm a child of God. And now this joyous truth brings me to my last point. The knowing of agape love. The knowing of agape love. Now even in the Old Testament, we know that God is a God of love. God is a God of love. It's evident. Yet there is a sense in which true knowledge of this love is attained only because of the coming of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.16, John says, By this we know love, he means agape love, that He laid down His life for us. Now the He here refers to Jesus Christ. He laid down His life for us, meaning that He gave Himself on the cross to save us from our sins. Now that is intentional. It's planned. He laid down His life for us. Jesus wasn't the reluctant, reluctant victim of a state-sanctioned murder. No. He lovingly laid down His life for us. Now, John is telling us, clearly Jesus is not like Cain. Cain's murder was radically selfish, while Jesus' sacrifice was radically selfless. 
That's agape love. But it's not just that. Jesus is also greater than Abel, the one whose deeds were deemed righteous. In Genesis 4, we learn that the blood of the murdered Abel cried out to God. Now, clearly it was a cry for justice. But in Hebrews 12, 24, it's another book in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews draws a vital connection for us. He says this about Jesus. It says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, this covenant is for all who believe in Christ, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, how does the blood of Jesus speak a better word than the blood of Abel? Because Jesus' blood is a cry for mercy through the fulfillment of God's demand of justice. Now, Abel cried because he had his life taken away from him by a murderous brother. But Jesus cried and gave up his life for murderers whom he would call brothers. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that enables us to make those critical shifts from hatred to agape love, from death to eternal life, from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. Only when we behold God's love to Jesus' finished work do we have the confidence to even go through this test of love as believers. Now, if we could be honest with ourselves, we all know we love imperfectly. Yet even as we fall short, we know that we are not condemned because the saving blood of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, always, always speaks a better word for us. Now, if you know this agape love of God, John tells us that it leads us to the expression of agape love. And this agape love is distinctly Christ-like. 1 John 3.16, the rest of the verse in the underlying portion says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, do you see what is happening here? Those who have received the love of God through the life laid down for them go on to do the same. John says we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, this term is inclusive. Fellow believers in the family, men and women. Knowing the agape love of Jesus Christ radically shapes the family of God. Now in this family, we are not like Cain. We're no longer murderers. But you know what? Many people in God's family actually can find themselves afraid. Because deep down, many people quietly think, if we are not more selfish like Cain, we fear we might end up like Abel. We'll be taken advantage of. We end up being the victim. Nobody wants to be the victim. Nobody wants to be taken advantage of. So sometimes many of us are afraid to love, to be vulnerable. So what is John teaching us? He's saying you are no longer murderous like Cain, but you're also not a victim like Abel. In this family, you are like Jesus. You are willingly laying down your life in love for others. Do you realize that was what happened to Apostle Paul after he came to know Jesus? I believe it was intentional. God chose him. Making it a sign for all generations of believers thereafter. From a hateful murderer who took other people's lives, he became a loving martyr who laid down his life for others. He saw the giving up of his life as a witness of love for Jesus Christ. And throughout church history, we see plenty of men and women who have grasped the gospel, 
which is the good news of Jesus Christ. And they chose to live in the same way. Now here is the beauty and power of the gospel. The gospel turns devil-like murderers who cry, your life for mine, into Christ-like martyrs who cry, my life for yours. That's the power of the gospel when you're gripped by that. And this is not just about actual physical dying. You don't need to intentionally seek martyrdom. But this spirit of love means you'll be willing to give up your interests for the sake of Christ and His family. And God is saying to you today, are you willing? Are you willing? With all that I've given to love you, are you willing to respond in love? Now as John gives this exhortation to lay down one's life, he gives this practical example for his readers. He says in verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The answer is a no, it does not. God's love does not abide in those who have the world's material goods, resources, sees a need in God's family, yet closes his heart. Many times our physical eyes may see, but we may choose to close our spiritual eyes. Because we know that once the eyes of our heart see, we will feel compassion. And our carnality tells us, selfishly shut it down, don't open it. That's refusing to show compassion. That is not the way of Jesus Jesus in His heavenly riches possesses what the world does not have. And He beholds our needs, opens the eyes of His heart, and shows compassion. He reaches out to us in compassion. That is agape love. This is the kind of love that must shape our church as a spiritual family. Next Sunday, you heard, we're going to have a special missions giving at the end of next Sunday's service. And that's why we have the red packet prepared for everyone this week and the next now this year, as I said, you heard me say last Sunday, we won't have a February gift to the king. Instead, we're calling for missions giving because Shalom School in East Timor really, really needs our help. Now I believe this principle in 1 John is not just for us in the Gabi here, it extends to Shalom School as well. Here in Singapore, we have the world's goods, clearly, evidently, and we see a need. But where we close our hearts against them, and if so, how does God's agape love abide in Agape Baptist Church? How does God's love, agape love, abide in Agape Baptist Church? Let me close with a story. Now in KL this past week, I was speaking with Pastor Tom. He was sharing with me his own precious experiences in ministry. And I believe for all of us who are believers in Christ, there are always some very peculiar experiences in ministry in your Christian walk has especially touched you. God's way of making Himself extremely real to you. And He shared this very precious experience that He said He would never be taken away from Him. There was one time in a church service in another church previously, a previous church that He was part of, and He was felt stirred to give. And back then, He gave everything in His wallet. So He took His wallet, gave everything in His wallet. Didn't even have any money to go home. So He had no money to take a bus home. So he planned in his heart, okay, maybe he needs to walk back home. And yet as he was on his way to the bus stop, he prayed in his heart, Lord, I've given you everything. Now if you would give me 25 cents, if there's 25 cents at the bus stop, 
let me take a bus home. Back then it was 25 cents, right? Cheaper. And so he prayed in his heart. That was many years ago. When he reached the bus stop, he found exactly 25 cents on the floor. And he took the bus home. Precious. God is real. And he got that experience only because he stepped out in faith. Now, Gabby Baptist Church, I ask you, is this God with a personal name? A God that is a figment of imagination, some theoretical God? Or is this a real God? A real God who made you real children of God? Let this year be a year where you experience God's truth, God's love as you step out in faith. Church, do you know this God who is able to provide exactly what you need? He has provided exactly what you need for your salvation and is able to provide exactly what you need for your everyday life. Do you know this personal God who loves you and calls you to love others as He does to Jesus Christ? Now by the grace of God, I pray that Agape Baptist Church would genuinely, truly be a church of agape love. A church that having received and experienced the great love of God will be able to step out in faith to love others unconditionally, selflessly, sacrificially for the glory of God. Now dear brothers and sisters, as beloved children of God, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Father, we come as your children today. It's a joy, it's a privilege. How sweet, how great, how marvelous is your love for us. We recognize that we were once children so far from you, alienated from you. We were once children who deserved condemnation for having lived a hateful life contrary to your loving ways. Yet now today we come before you by grace through faith. Today we come with grateful hearts, knowing that you have loved us with your agape love. We count our blessings, God. You've given us a new family. Thank you. You have given us new life. Thank you. You've given us a new capacity to love. Thank you. As we look to Jesus, who lovingly laid down His life for us, oh God, I pray, let us grow as a people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, who will lovingly lay down our lives for one another, and even for those beyond our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can I invite you to stand to our feet? Now, I believe the Lord has spoken to us and this word is for us today. Now, as you receive this word in our heart and remember that this God is a God of love that flows from heavens above and now God has given you this new capacity to love in ways that you never could before. Rejoice in that truth. And sing as we respond in worship. Sing and marvel at this great God of love whose love now abides in you enabling you to love with Christ's life, agape love. Let's come before God and sing with one heart, one spirit, and one mind. Let's sing this to the Lord.
and here is love. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life a ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who is love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the
we are amazed at your love, Lord. Lord, we ask even over the course of this week, as we think about East Timor, as we think about Shalom School, we think about the dire needs that they have, Lord, and that we have very much uh, an abundance of what they need, finances, Lord. Lord, would you help us in the same love that has been poured out upon our lives to now also pour out that same love upon others, Lord. We cannot do this on our own, Lord. And we trust that your Spirit, your gracious helper, would enable us to walk in faith before you. And as Pastor Tom experienced, your love, Lord God, is not a one-time thing, but God, your love is a faithful, continuous outpouring, Lord God. It is like the mighty rivers that we just sang of, Lord. And we continue to enjoy and experience your love, Lord. You who gave your Son for us, Lord, will you not, together with Him, provide us with whatever else we may need, Lord. So, Lord, we come humbly before you and we trust in your gracious leading and directing of our lives, Lord. We greet you and we thank you once again for your great love. Now, as we come to the end of the service, would you open up your hearts and your hands to receive the blessing of the benediction. May the Father, through His glorious power, root you and ground you in love, so that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen. Now would you put your hands together? Let us rejoice at His great love and faithfulness towards us. And as Agapians, as you've been blessed, would you now go forth and be a blessing? We've come to the end of our service. Do hang around for the buzz and bond and to fellowship one another. If not, I'll see you next Sunday. God bless.